0: Some of you will have given a lot more talks and preached a lot lot more than I have. Um, And I'm sure you never do this. But one of the things I did this week was Google um, the passage that we're looking at with the word cartoon before it. So we're looking at Jesus walking on the water. And so I Googled today cartoons of Jesus walking on water. Um, Martin, do you want to put my cartoons up? These are my (laughs) favourites. So, Let's give you a second. I'll read them out as well. Um, so, on the left, we've got two penguins. Uh, we assume Mr. Penguin is holding the Bible. Mrs. Penguin is listening. And the, the caption is, What am I missing here? We walk on water all the time. And on the right, you've got um, Mary, who's always uh, no, uh, visible in medieval art by a headscarf thing. So she's wearing a headscarf. Jesus at bath time. Um, and Mary's saying, In. And Jesus is standing. Some of us will be familiar with that arms-folded concept. Um, And what's funny about these, and what's funny about lots of cartoons, I think, is that either it it probably shouldn't happen. So the one on the right, basically we sort of know that that never happened. It's sort of, it's not a real thing. It never really happened, but that's why it's funny. It tickles us because it it shouldn't really happen, but it's funny. And then the one on the left um, is funny because the penguin doesn't really get it. And um, I've been looking at the passage of Jesus walking on water, and the disciples struggle with this miracle of Jesus, partly because it shouldn't really happen, and partly because they don't really get it. So we're going to look at the passage together. Have you got the Bible? Yes, look at this, marvellous. So this is just after the feeding of the 5,000. If you weren't here last week, Tom our brilliant order man spoke on the feeding of the 5,000 and about how God calls us and calls us to trust him and does amazing things in our lives if we step into what he's asking us to do. And this comes straight after. So it says, immediately, let me just find it in my Bible then I don't have to turn around. It says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he distressed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up to a mountainside To pray, so he gets rid of disciples. They've been working for Jesus, doing amazing things in Jesus' name. They're desperate for some time alone. And in the previous story, all these crowds—they couldn't get rid of all the crowds so much that they even had to give them dinner that evening. And Jesus finally managed to send the disciples off. Get on your boat. Go on. Go to your happy place on the water. And um, Jesus went. Got rid of the crowd. Dealt with the crowd. Sent them home and went off to his happy place on a mountainside to pray. Um, And then they're in the boat. Later that night, it says the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples, this is Jesus seeing the disciples from the mountain. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. I don't know if any of you have ever rowed. I rowed for a brief but significant period um, when I was a student. And rowing against a headwind is like really tough. Like every single stroke feels like your arms are going to fall off. Every single one. That's basically what's happening here. So it's not like a stormy storm necessarily, but it's this massive headwind that they're rowing into. And it is exhausting effort. Then it says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because all saw him and were terrified. They're not expecting this. This shouldn't happen. They're not expecting someone to be walking out on the lake, especially in a wind like this. It's interesting that Jesus walking is probably faster than the poor disciples rowing their boat because they're against this headwind. So he catches them up, even having been up on the mountainside to pray. I thought that was interesting. Um, And then Jesus spoke to them. Immediately, he, Jesus, spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. They, the disciples, were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So, this amazing miracle, not just a miracle, healing We've seen loads of healings and and Jesus freeing people from evil spirits. But a miracle of like actual stuff like wind and waves and physical impossibilities of walking on the water. Um, Jesus has done this amazing miracle. It really is him. He gets in the boat with them. It really is him. He calms the wind and the disciples are amazed. And actually the the, the verse that really stood out for me is this last little section. They were completely amazed. So we're going from halfway through 51, forget the last bit, we're just doing up to 52. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts, were hardened. They haven't got it yet. They haven't got that Jesus is the Son of God and he's coming to bring transformation, amazing things, a new way of living, a new way of knowing God, a new freedom for people. And they haven't understood it because their hearts are hardened. And so they're surprised and are terrified when Jesus walks on the water because they haven't quite grasped who Jesus is and what he's here to do, despite all the miracles and despite all the things that he's told them about them already. I mean, we're only in chapter six, so there's some more to come. Um, but despite all of the stuff they've already seen, they can't grasp it because their hearts were hardened. And that image of a heart being hardened has just been a really powerful image for me this week. Um, hearts are you know, if I walk up the stairs to the the two to R's room and get back down, like I can feel my heart moving inside my chest, like bum bum bum. like you can imagine the heart. I watched a bit of Grey's Anatomy as well. So there's a lot of like heart shots in Grey's Anatomy when they're on the operating table. Like they move. A hardened heart is not what you want. You don't want, it's not going to work if it's hard and and not working. Um, And actually in Jewish thought, we sort of modern thought have like heart separate to head and mind and soul and spirit. We sort of think of these things all differently. Whereas in in Jewish thought, it was all connected. You're a whole person. So actually for your heart to be hardened meant your whole self was hardened to being able to understand what God was doing. Your whole um, who you are, mind, body, soul, spirit, heart, all one was hardened. And the passage can't get through because their hearts are hard and they can't get through the, the point of amazement to say, wow, this is who Jesus really is. So we're thinking a little bit of hard hearts and there's three things that I think we can do. We're thinking about soft hearts really, but we're thinking about hard hearts so that we can think about soft hearts. There's, things, there's three things I think we can do to keep our hearts soft, to keep our hearts moving and pumping and ready to understand what God's doing in our lives so we don't miss out on who God is and what he's got for us. And the things are expect, connect, reflect. So watch out for those. We need to expect challenge. There's an amazing passage in Ezekiel that I've been reminded of this week. Uh, This is a a part in the Old Testament where, um, there's my picture, Um, where The people are all scattered. They've been taken captive by other nations. They've scattered everywhere. Their holy city of Jerusalem has been ruined and destroyed, and they've been taken away by other places and scattered. And there's a passage in Ezekiel where God sends a message through the prophet Ezekiel that he's going to gather and restore Israel and cleanse them and bring them back together as a nation. And he says to them, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you... Now, I always want this to be a heart of gold. I'm like, remove me a heart of stone and give me a heart of gold, like a shiny, sparkly, perfect, you know, restored, brilliant heart of gold. That's what I want, Lord, a heart of gold. You know, that has got a positive image to it. That's, you know, I'd love to be, you know, gold on the inside so that I can try and be gold on the outside. That's what I want, Lord. Take away my heart of stone. Yes, I want it to be pumping, but actually a heart of gold is what I want. And that's not what God says through Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And flesh is like wonky and kind of susceptible to getting tired and susceptible to disease and weakness. But it's also something that can move and can grow and can change and can move with God. And God is actually in control of it. We see that in Jesus' miracles. And it can be fully alive in Jesus. And that's what God tells us. He doesn't, I mean, you know, the gold's there as well. But he wants to give us a heart of flesh, a moving, pumping, growing, living heart. But it is with weakness. We don't expect it to be perfect. We don't expect our lives to be perfect and without challenge. We can expect challenge and discouragement and unexpected things that knock us off um, the path that we think we're going on. The lies of the enemy. The enemy is the father of lies. Lies we believe about ourselves. Lies we believe about other people that throw us off court and make our hearts hard to what God's doing. And even actually sometimes when God shows up in an amazing way we can be blind to what he's doing a bit like the disciples when god shows up in an amazing way we can be confused and not sure what's god's doing we need to expect discouragement expect the challenge and even in church church can be messy and complicated we've got a vision at patton church to in, what's our vision inviting camp into family serve swindon she said that together inviting people into family to serve Swindon well people is like the middle of that and people are like messy and complicated and difficult and fall out with each other so if we're about people as a church we're going to have to expect the challenge we're six months in we've seen some challenge there's some more coming we can expect this but we're not going to let it make our hearts hard we're going to keep our hearts soft despite this and actually Jesus came to us when we were still sinners messy complicated and he died for us so that actually these challenges and these heavy things and these um, things that can stop us from understanding what God's doing they're not the end of the story for us that actually God can work with us and help us to grow and move and pump for him Um, and he conquered death so that we can know life amidst the challenges so we can expect the pain and the mess and the discouragement but it's not the end of the story um, someone wise, I think it was Tom actually said to me this week, hard-heartedness happens. Soft-heartedness is a choice. We can expect hard-heartedness to happen, but actually soft-heartedness is a choice to choose to keep our hearts soft so that we can be ready for what Jesus has got for us. Two quick stories about my two friends who are marvelous, and I just saw them actively, actively, actively not letting their hearts grow hard. So my one friend, Denise, made a big mistake, criminal mistake, um, and her sister-in-law, basically couldn't forgive her for it. And there was a bit of a rift, well, there was a rift in the family at that point for over two years, I would say, and her sister-in-law would say difficult things about her behind her back. I mean, not necessarily untrue things, but difficult things. Um, And actually, because Denise knew that she'd forgiven, for this mistake, that she knew God was on her side. She refused to let her hard, the, the heart grow hard and to let that challenge affect her. And she kept praying for reconciliation, kept stepping out into those difficult conversations. And actually there's been a beautiful reconciliation in that family now. And they're all you know, going on holiday together and sitting nicely together at the table when they're having meals and stuff. Amazing, beautiful reconciliation because she didn't let the hard heartedness creep in. She kept her heart soft because she, she knew what was coming. My other friend, Rebecca, um, her husband left her. They moved for his job, and then towards the end of that period where he was working, he decided that he couldn't live in the family home. He left the family home, um, and she was sort of left with two young children. She ended up moving back... To where they'd been before, so they were living at a distance. But all throughout, she refused to let this situation get her down. It would have been really easy for, to let unforgiveness creep in and difficult, difficult stuff to creep in. And I just watched her again and again come back to God, refuse to let her heart grow hard to her husband. And they're actually back together. They're reconciled. They had two children at that point. They've now got three children. They're growing, they're raising their children together. Beautiful story of how. Rebecca refused to let her heart get hard, refused to miss out on what God had for her and her family because of the challenge that she knew was coming. So we can expect the challenge, but we have to recognize that it's not the end of the story, not to let our hearts grow hard over it. The second thing is to connect with God. Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. We see that many times in the Bible. He prioritizes time connecting with God, time with the Father, just put like a naff recharging batteries sign. But that's that sense of recharging the batteries when the batteries are going low or even before the battery is going low. If you're one of those awful people that plugs your phone in, even if it's only on like 85 percent, that's OK in the church. We can do that with God. That's allowed. It's not going to ruin our battery. It's going to be fine. And um, maybe it's about downloading new software where like things are just getting a bit clunky and difficult. And um, we're connecting with God in church. At Patton Church, we want to invite people into a family that connects with God. We, In our Sunday mornings, we spend lots of time worshipping. We spend lots of time praying. We're going to do some praying a little bit later. We prioritise that time so that giving God space to connect with us and move us and work with us and heal us and show us what he's got for us and bring us real, living, fleshy, growing, living life. So that's what we're trying to do in church. We want to be a family who's hungry for the word, who wants to hear God speaking through his word, hungry for prayer and, and letting God's spirit move us. Um, I went glamping 10 days ago. I had an amazing last minute. My friend, um, three, me and three friends, all who have got kids who are about one, one of my friends, Anna, about nine months ago when she was in the middle of like, middle of the night awfulness with her tiny baby, booked a glamping retreat for like a year's time. And then the year came up and we all went glamping last week. It was really fun. And and usually us, us four friends, we usually go on holiday with the rest of our family. So there's usually four like competent blokes who are there to like help us with stuff like building a fire, but there wasn't anyone to help this time. So we built our own fire, people. I was a guide a very long time ago. Uh, We didn't have any kindling, but the trick is just to put a pile of matches in the middle and then that'll just keep it going for long enough for like the slightly damp wood to take. So that's the answer. If you ever like don't have any kindling and you've got plenty of matches, just put a big pile of matches. That'll raise the heat and then you'll be able to build your fire. Anyway... So we built our fire and then I thought, oh I'll just rearrange it a little bit and I sort of started pulling bits of wood out. And when you pull bits of wood out, when you separate the bits of wood from your fire, they stop burning, like they go like rubbish and gray and they stop working. And then if you like push them back together again and blow frantically to get the air in, then they, they come alive again. They come alive again. And actually, we're like those bits of wood. If you start taking us out of our church family, if you start separating us, finding it difficult to connect with each other, to connect with God, you go a bit cold and gray and rubbish. Whereas if you can push them all back together, connect with God, connect with each other, the, the air in the analogy is like the Holy Spirit, which is a bit naff, but it's quite easy to remember. Blow the air of the Holy Spirit in. Get God working in the fire. Fire triangle, people then the fire will be on fire again and we're connecting with God and we're on fire. We're not letting that heart go hard, we're keeping it soft. So we can get out with Don Church and we can connect with God on our own. Jesus goes up on his own on the mountainside to pray. He prays with his disciples and he, um, towards the start of the Gospels, you definitely see him praying in the synagogue as well, but he, he prays on his own. And I suppose the challenge for us, and I don't say this with any condemnation or negativity at all, and um, Jesus never said should, well, he, in, if you search for should in the Bible, you'll get should, but it'll be like the, if you should do this, it's like a dodgy English, whatever participle or thing that is. Anyway, so it's not should. So if you search for somebody, you'll find it. but Jesus never said should, he said, imagine if you could do this. And imagine if we were so connected with God on our own with each other, um, that we weren't getting hard hearted, we were keeping our hearts off and God was able to work with us and move us. Nikki Gumbel, who is um, involved in the Alpha course, pioneered the Alpha course, um, he's been doing the same thing in his connecting with God time for over 20 years, every single day for over 20 years. That's not me. I have like phases of different things. I slightly go where the wind takes me sometimes, and I have to acknowledge about the, the, where my life's at. Um, but the important thing is that we're keeping it in mind. We're keeping striving to have a relationship with God that works for us on our own. So I don't know what you're doing. We all do different things in the way we connect with God with music and Bible and prayer and journaling and going for walks and painting and there's so many different ways that we can allow God to speak so we get ourselves in the place where God can speak to us. And if you're restless with that, listen to the restlessness. Is that a restlessness that says this isn't working. I want more, Lord. I imagine what you could do. Or is this a restlessness that says I'm bored and I want to pack it all in. And actually, there's, there's a, a, a thing there about keeping going, keeping going and letting God speak to you in your time connecting with God on your own. And there's grace available. Don't hear pressure from me. Um, I, uh, when I was 19, and I had just, I feel like I've come to faith in Jesus so many times, but a significant time of me saying yes to Jesus again when I was 19. Um, and soon after that, I... I um, I had the opportunity to go on a retreat with some of the students that I was studying with. Um, and so I went on this retreat. I was like, oh, I've got a free weekend. that would be fun. And it was a silent retreat. I was like, well, that's not really my thing. I'm a bit of a talker. But, you know, why not? It's, it's cheap and I can afford it. And off we go. And I thought, I know. It's a silent retreat. So what I'll do in these 48 hours I've got on retreat is I'll... Sort out the cross. I'll sort out all the theology of the cross. I'll get it sorted in my head. This is like I, I believe in it. I know. I know God's done amazing things, with me, but I'm going to sort it out once and for all. I'm going to go through all the Bible stuff. Take my book with me, and I went on this street with my book about the cross, ready to like nail it, get it all sorted. That's not a very good pun, is it? I shouldn't say that. Um. <laughs> That wasn't meant to be a pun, sorry. Uh, sort it out in my head and know all the answers about the cross. And I went on this retreat, and I basically slept for 48 hours. And God met me so wonderfully and beautifully in the time of rest and in the time of relaxation. So don't hit any pressure on me to do anything particularly specific. Or um, God, come can, can meet with us. When we give him time, he meets with us. That's what... Joel was talking about focus earlier. When we give him time, he meets with us. When we come back to him, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, when we come back to him, he runs to meet us and he gives us a massive embrace. We can expect the challenge, connect with God. Expect, connect, reflect. And we can reflect on our stories, reflect on your stories. We can remember what God has done for us. We can remind ourselves of what we're here to do, why we've ended up here, how to keep our hearts soft, remembering the story of what God's done. The Psalms, if you look through the Psalms, a lot of it is about connecting with God in difficult times and in good times and turning that into prayer and praise and petition and some other piece. Um, but also, there's, there's remembering the story. There's so many of the Psalms that are remembering the story of Israel, remembering what God has done. I'm reading Michelle Obama's book at the moment, and there's an amazing moment where she's about two months into her time as the First Lady of the Amer- United States and they come to England to meet the queen, and they um, get invited to like a reception at Buckingham Palace, and she hits the headlines because she, well not accidentally, but she slightly out of turn, like hugs the queen because they're having a chat about uncomfortable shoes or something, and it just felt appropriate to hug the queen anyway. Um, so she has all these sort of bizarre headlines and people that she meets, and then she gets to go to a school in North London, um, high numbers of ethnic minorities, high numbers of children from deprived backgrounds. Um, Free school meals is the the measure that they would have used at that time. Um, And she gets up on her stage and she sees something of her story looking back to her in all these girls sitting, waiting for her to talk to them, the first lady of the United States. And it's a lovely passage in the book where she gets really emotional because she reconnects with her story. That's her background. She's from a difficult part of Chicago. She's an ethnic minority. She's lived that challenge and that struggle. And she's she's done well at school and she's she's risen and she's in a a position now to help other people from the same story as her. That's part of her story. And you see her seeing these girls who are doing amazingly well at school, despite the challenge that they're in. And she sees something of her first story reflected back her, and it just grounds her and reconnects her and what she's there for. And and all the headlines and all the sort of high heels and difficult stuff when you're first lady of the United States just fade away, and she's back there, reconnected with the heart of her stories. Our stories are important. They speak of what God's done. And they speak of what God's going to do in us. And if we reflect, we can see the growth. We can f- see the heart beating and God changing us and growing us and molding us. Um, this is what my journal looks like. <laughs> it does look like this some weeks, actually, confession. Um, empty. Anyway, most of the time it's got... But I've, there's two sides to my journal. I'll just to explain this. Because on the left, there's a little section for each day. And on the right, there's like a big section for the week. So on the left, I write five things every day that I'm thankful for boom 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 reconnecting reflect on what God's done in my life and on the right I then like write my endless lists of things that I'm finding difficult and challenges and things I'm hungry for and things I want God to shift in my life and things that I just don't understand like why did my hoover have to break this week Lord why that I just want God to just make it clear to me why that happened this week and how he's going to bring glory from that etc and um, and sometimes, even in the same week, the stuff from the like, oh, it's so hard, Lord, moves onto the thankful page. And you see the growth and you see the change and you see God working when you have a chance to reflect on your story. Journals works for me, some days it might not work for you. Life is full, we've got responsibilities. Make the responsibilities work for you. Make it work as a, as a period of reflection. If you have to do those tedious or maybe life-giving appraisals at works every six months, every three months, every 12 months. Make it a prayer activity. God, what have you done in my life at work for the last six months? What are you going to do in the next six months? What's exciting? What's the opportunity? Don't let your heart go hard because of appraisal admin. Don't let it. Stay soft. Stay open to what God's doing. Um, If you're a person who like is really organized with their weekly shop and has an app and stuff, or if you're like super on it with your finances and you've got like the best color coded spreadsheet I've ever seen ever, when you do your weekly shop, your monthly finance update, pray it through. Lord, what am I doing with my food this week? Who am I eating with? Who do I want to be eating with next week when I'm here next week buying the food again? If it's more finances, at the end of each month, look, what you've given me this money, Lord. What have I done with this money? What have we been able to do together with this money? What amazing things are you doing in my life? Reflect on your story. Use the normal everyday things and reflect on your story. Make it a prayer activity. Um, Bedtime, our little girl, uh, we do, we sort of ended up doing this by accident one day, but we do something, after we've done like normal stories, and we turn the light off, we do something called the story of the little girl called Heather, but basically, we just kind of once upon a time, so there's a girl called Heather who lived with mummy and daddy in Swindon. And one day she woke up and she was grumpy in the morning and then she had breakfast and then she went to nursery and she had a really happy time with her friend. And then she did this. You know, we just sort of talk through the day. And it's a it's a prayer activity. She might not know it is, but it is. It's saying this is my day. It had highs and lows. God, you're working and moving and living in my day, whatever it might be, whatever your admin is. Keep those friends who are going to hold you to significant parts in your life. Keep those ex-colleagues who knew you when you were rubbish at your job and have seen God do amazing things in your life. The things that we already have we can be using to see what God's doing and to keep ourselves soft-hearted. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what I want. I want a soft heart. I don't want a hard heart, so I miss out on what God's doing. Like the disciples, they didn't understand who God was and what he was doing with those miracles because their hearts were hardened. I, want to, I don't want to miss out on what God's got for us. And so I'm going to expect, connect, reflect. I want to be ready to experience what God's got for me. So let's keep going. Let's expect and connect and reflect Because God will speak into our lives. God will move things in our lives if we're soft-hearted and we're ready for him to work.